Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Silly Season Part 2, I guess you can call it. Yeah, like we're we're officially in the full like summer of shithousery, as I'll call it. I don't think there's another way around it. And I have shockingly been able to watch a lot of soccer in the last week. Let's say in the last week. And somehow each game has been more ridiculous than the last game in each and every circumstance um so anyway welcome back what's going on Rian? how you doing i have no idea what you're playing in the background oh my god Wow! Every time, every time I had start- to, I had to stop that. Uh, we really had like a good fifteen seconds that I actually played that before we had like copyright issues, so I had to stop it. But um, we're not, we're not getting demonetized. I'm, <laughs> I'm doing good, Elias. I'm doing, I'm doing very well. Thank you for asking. I, I just, I want to ask, and I know you've been going through a bit of an identity crisis recently. Um, you know, obviously becoming a fan of the Three Lions has taken a lot out of uh, out of your identity into who you are. So, given that you did just play the famed song "Football Is Coming Home," wh- <laughs> why? <laughs> I, I don't even know where we go from here. At this point. I'm just, yeah. Oh my gosh. Well. Um... I think, uh, honestly, at least part of that was just to spite you more than anything else. Oh, <laughs> right oh you really want to start there, don't you? <laughs> yeah, no, let's do it. Let's do it. No, let's start. England, Germany, go. I go. think, no, 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 no. We don't, we, don't, we don't have to jump in so quickly. I, to answer your first question, I'm doing well. We're, we're getting close Good. to the, uh, to, to July 4th here. It's falling, which has fallen on a Sunday this year. So I, I'm kind of curious to see what other people's days off are because i'm off on friday but it feels like people could conceivably be off on monday too because yeah the day after the holiday (laughs) are you off on monday i'm I'm, i mean i'm off both so it's kind of (laughs) wow wow must be nice yeah i got nice wow (laughs) wow how millennial of you um (laughs) it's uh it, it's it's kind of a weird one because I think last year it was on a Saturday, uh, right? Yeah. I mean, no one really. Did. I mean, some people did stuff on. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah. Last summer. year was also yeah, fully, it was just kind of shot, <laughs> fully a panorama. So <laughs> yeah, it's it, it this year it's a it's a bit more uh, awkward, but doing well, doing well. I'm I'm looking forward to another long weekend, uh, probably the last one of the summer, right? Well, yeah. it was until Labor Day. Until Labor Day. Which is the end luckily, of summer. Yeah. And which is luckily too, a week later than yeah. usual. So it'll go into the September. So that's well, this that's is the, this is the problem. Like I hate I've said this repeatedly, like to other people. I hate New York in the summer. Not because like I hate the city of New York during the summer. I just hate walking outside and being shoulder to shoulder with a bunch of people that are also sweating their asses off. And you just want to get to where you were going and sit in the AC. Like today where we're recording, it's almost a hundred degrees outside. 
and nobody wants to go outside. We got emergency alerts on our phones saying limit the use of AC. Like that's <laughs> the, the city told us we... to chill to yeah, literally, literally stop using electricity. <laughs> <laughs> the city told us to chill, and we're like, yeah, we're trying, but you're not letting us. And it's just <laughs> I, that's the part I hate about New York summers. The alternative, of course, is like it's much better than New York winters, where everyone is literally a hermit <laughs> the entire yeah. time. But my favorite season by far is just the fall. Like the fall is just when it's the perfect temperature. Like everyone's still out and about and you're not, you know, sweating your ass off the whole time. But anyway, I'm more we'll of a spring the most person of myself. Fourth. Yeah. Like, spring, spring is also great. Myself. Very true. I think spring is awesome in New York, but we got to suffer through the fall for, for this ah, through the summer right now. Um, yeah. at, at the very least, there are multiple summer tournaments and like things to keep us busy right mm-hmm. now because I'm trying to imagine a world where this was, well, last summer and there was nothing really yeah. other than like delayed <laughs> seasons. Yeah. And it kind of sucked. There was nothing to do. I don't know how we go through summers without football. Like, what a we would have had the Confederations Cup, I feel like, right? We would That's what we would have had this year if without the pandemic, I should say, because 2020 would have been the Euros. And then the Confederations Cup is usually the year before the World Cup. So actually, maybe we'll have it next summer at this point. But yeah, I see what you mean. I, I guess it. Yeah, maybe. No, you're right. I think we would have had nothing. I think it's very possible we would have had nothing. Didn't they abolish the Confederations Cup? Like last mm, year or 2019? Question, honestly, they did it in. So it's usually the year before the World Cup. And right. they did it in 2017. Now that I think about it, they, I don't know. So they usually do it in the, I think they usually do it in the country that the World Cup is going to be in the year before. And there's no way they can do that with Qatar because they're not going to do any summer tournament, any summer, (laughs) anything in Qatar. So uh, it's, it's a bit of a tangent there, but like you're saying, I think we would have had maybe at most, maybe would have had the Copa this year or maybe the Copa would have been last year. Oh, the Copa was, was the Copa was going to go on either way. Our, our friends go down in, in CONCACAF were going to make sure that happened. COVID or no a Conma bowl. Conma bowl. Excuse me. Thank you. Thank you. I yeah. mean, CONCACAF would have also made it happen too for money. <laughs> yeah. like, oh, 100%. Oh, Messi's last international tournament potential? Oh, yeah. We're getting the most out of this guy. <laughs> yeah, 100%. But anyway, more tangents. Tangents are a common theme in the pod if you have not figured that out at this point or our first time listener rian let's get into the real stuff let's get into the fun stuff you called me out on twitter for this deservedly so you also never responded to my text about it so it's i'm not bitter england <laughs> there wasn't much to say i knew i knew no, 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 there was yeah, no, no there was a i knew we'd have the say. time yeah. there was a little bit to say but it's uh, we're, we're here and saying it now so england of course knocking out germany the big behemoth that is yergi loves team his last international game managing the side first england win against germany in a knockout stage since i believe 1966 i think 1966 yeah since the last time they won the world cup it's the last time the world actually the only time they won the world cup to be fair but dude you're supposed to be a three lions (laughs) fan you're not supposed to be (laughs) i would kill to be able to say the only time the u.s won the world cup so i you know that's 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 still a compliment yeah fair fair (laughs) well let's let's talk about this game because i was very much 
a believer in this Germany team after that Portugal result. I was very much a believer in a Germany side that would absolutely dominate the wings against an England side that seemingly decided that they did not want to defend on the flank, (laughs) just purely based on the formation that came out from Southgate, you know, an hour before the game started. But outside of the first 15 minutes of that game, I thought the first half was very cagey and the second half England really started to get into their stride. Like it really was the definition of a tale of two halves. It really was an England team that started to come more into the game. We could talk all day about how Jack Grealish came on and really shifted the momentum of this game. Again, another question I don't understand as to why he's not a starter right now, but I will say I was impressed with England's second half performance and they deserve, they deserve to go through. I mean, Thomas Muller should have scored. Yes, we we can all kind of recognize that. I think he recognized that himself. But at the same time, Raheem Sterling and Harry Kane were were the difference. I mean, it's I think it actually just comes down to the team that finished their chances. And I didn't think that I England would be on the on the positive end of that. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll I'll say like one one thing to or one of the things to Southgate's credit in that game is I think they did try to defend the wings. I think, I think they did try to defend the wings in that game because they switched to, I think it was a three, four, three, yep. right. Where Saka ended up playing like wing back. Uh, uh, I think, no, sorry. T- uh, Trippier played wing back actually. Um, and, and Saka was one of the tens in behind Kane and they didn't really allow Germany that much space on those areas. We saw like Gozins just destroy Portugal for 90 minutes by the pure fact that, you know, like, like as we, as we talked about um, last week, just Portugal for whatever reason, couldn't figure out uh, that five was more than four. So England actually were ready for that. And like, <laughs> At this point now, with the teams that have been knocked out and the teams that are still in it, like Southgate is the last of the the type of managers that we were talking about last week, the kind of control over substance coaches in this tournament. England is probably the last of those teams, um, or last of those big, I should say, the, the quote-unquote favorites that were playing in that style, right, where they're just trying to make the game very very slow and and not give up anything on the other side and just kind of leverage the chances that your forwards are going to score and yeah as at the end of the day like as much as we may not enjoy this strategy and it's still yet to be seen whether this will be whether the way that they're playing now will be enough to win the whole tournament right we, we can't dispute, dispute that Southgate is getting those players, those England players, to execute this game plan at a very high level. And you're seeing that and the fact that they, they have, so far, the best defense at this tournament, right? And I, the, only it, thing, the only thing about that, I agree with everything you just said, the only thing about that is that it's, all again, all relative and that with the number of goals that have been scored on average per game, having the best defense in this tournament is is saying a little bit less than normal. I mean, there have been nine own goals scored 
word in this tournament alone. So, so yes, I, I take that with a grain of salt, but yes, I agree with everything else you just said. Yeah. I just, so out of, out of the teams that are still left, they have the second best expected goals allowed to, to Italy, but you know, that is a product of them making the game just, just suffer ball. I think it's, as some people True. have called it, I'm trying to just, just mm-hmm. absolute suffer ball. Like, they're out of all the quarterfinal teams left. They also have the lowest expected goal different, or sorry, they, I just think the fourth lowest, sorry, third lowest expected goal difference per 90. Like it, it's, it's all kind of in, in the balance more or less in terms of chance created and chances uh, conceded for England. But and I think you said it great. Like at the end of the day, Germany had two great chances in this game, right? One in the first half to Timo Werner, where he just, if he tries to chip, if he tries to chip Pickford, he probably scores that goal, but he didn't think about chipping him and tried to go across him and and Pickford was in the right position to score. And that's a good chance for Germany there. And they didn't score. And then you mentioned it, the Mueller chance, which granted came off of like a, just, just a terrible pass from Sterling. And there's a great, um, there's a great video of an angle like right behind Sterling as Mueller's running in on goal and Sterling's head is on his hands are on his head the entire time he's running down. And then as he misses Sterling, he drops to his knees and it's probably praying at that point like, that, that the uh, sun praying. and the mirror yeah. didn't start writing articles the second they saw. Oh that. my good. Yeah. I mean, look for his, him and his family's sake. Yeah, I'm I'm very happy that that goal yeah. did not go in. Yeah, um, but we but, didn't even we didn't even mention Kai's chance like that. Yeah, too. Again, amazing save from a good save. Pickford. Yeah, yeah. But th- this just goes back to what I was saying. Like that's how close and how tight this game was. Like yeah. inches is what separated the momentum of each one of these chances from completely changing the tide of who went through. Yeah, like ultimately the game came down to execution in the final third, and England <laughs> executed better than Germany, right? And that's that's kind of the one side of this where, look, if you're a fan of England, you should obviously you should be super excited. Like, and they beat Germany. They never beat Germany. They they are actually terrified of Germany. Like, I was I was at my girlfriend's home back this this past weekend, and um, there was she has a few. Her family has a few British friends, and I remember saying to them, I was like, I actually feel like good about you guys this week. I think you guys have a good chance of winning. And they're all like, no way, we're not. Are you just trying to be nice? It's like, no, no, I actually do think you guys might win that game. Um, are you just trying to be nice? I mean, yes, yeah. but also. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you could see like what that meant to beating, beating Germany, like beating Germany the symbol more than i think that german team because we know that's that's a team is so far off of the 2014 team right oh so, yeah yeah so if, we know this if you had this... to bring back demons for me but yeah sure <laughs> whatever <That's>... yeah fine <laughs> no but we know we know this isn't the strongest german team at the moment right and i guess that kind of takes us to the other side of this right where kind of the end of an era for a few of these German players. He, Yogi Love, we know this is his last game. He brought back Hummels and Mueller for this tournament. 
And and I think that was also part of the reason why I, I also was somewhat in the same boat as you, Elias, where I was where I was like, you look at that team and it's like Mueller, Goretzka, and and um Cruz as the midfield, like it's really hard to bet against that. Um yeah, yeah, but exactly. It it would be I would be somewhat surprised to see um, either Mueller, Cruz, or uh, Hummels, who was also brought back into the squad for this tournament. I'd be surprised to see the three of them at in Qatar, honestly. Maybe Cruz, yeah. but I'd be surprised to, to, see, to see Mueller and, uh, and Hummels at least. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe Mueller will be in just because Hansi Flick is going to be the coach. But Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I would still agree with that sentiment. And I think the biggest thing that I took away is that I don't even know if this is kind of a a shift in era for Germany. I think this is more a wake up call. Like I think that the pieces are there for this German side to be a really strong force in the world cup next year. I think that they have the talent and they have the young talent too. It's not like these are just raw talent players, like using, not using, but actively, I guess, searching for a platform to to showcase their their talent and like find a new club for example like it's not what this is this german side like is is still a pretty well-oiled machine they just need a fresh injection of new ideas that i think hansi flick probably will bring to that and combine that with the fact that players like muller hummels probably won't be in the next world cup that opens it up for even more players to come up and i think probably over the course of the next season showcase what they have in you know the bundesliga and their club teams and i think that's where we're like i i'm expecting a couple of surprises basically from this german like the german um world cup squad in 2022 like i think there will be names that we probably are not even aware of right now yeah because it's it is kind of a fresh lack lack lacking in the experience um type of team right now so i i want to highlight the one last thing about this which of course is the fact that England will be in the quarterfinals and they will be playing Ukraine, which are Ukraine was not the team. I thought they would be playing the quarterfinals. I very much thought it was going to be Sweden. So I'm over two on what is arguably the easiest side of the bracket. I, I don't know who wins on this, this game. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, I mean, it's, it would be, Look, it's, it wouldn't be Iceland levels of of an of like disappointment if England were to go out in this uh, Euros <laughs> compared to 2016. It wouldn't be quite that level going out to Ukraine. But I, I'm on the same side of you. Like, I I would have picked Sweden to go through uh, between those two teams, and mm-hmm. um, I think that game was just a Sweden Ukraine game was just. Uh, just a slog yeah I mean, that was not pretty it was a tough watch honestly I, like Forsberg hit the post twice so that Sweden could feel a bit unlucky in that second half that that um they didn't end up getting the second goal and I would have just loved to see more of uh Kuliszewski and <laughs> and Isak playing up top together which I, I really hope that we get to see them in the World Cup um because that's a really that that's a potential to be a really fun oh yeah your partnership oh, yeah. for like for the years to come I think like that yeah, I I, th- I think there I think that's a much better forward line to have up there than a forty three year old 
Zlatan in, in 2022. So, so not I, no, not no. I hope we see a lot more from this Swedish team, but just want to give like you got to give our flowers to Andrei Shevchenko, who, who I think he I think I saw today that he, as a player, took Ukraine to their first quarterfinals in the World Cup, and now mm-hmm. as a coach, he's taken them to the first their first quarterfinals in a Euro uh, championship. So, yep that's like huge huge congrats to him and massive to ukraine in general too so it it, it's going to be a tough game i think i i I would be surprised yeah england will definitely be favorites i think i'll be surprised if england were to win by more than two goals honestly i'd be Uh, shocked yeah (laughs) i'd be surprised surprised. yeah (laughs) this is this has one nil written all over it yeah it's also an interesting one see if they stick with a three four three that's what I want to see. Yep. That I mean, that would if if they were to do that, that would be very disappointing if they stuck with that. Um, because I can only think the reason that they did it against Germany is because it's the game that we saw against Portugal, really. Yeah. Um, but there's 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 no reason that they should be playing with three at the back against Ukraine. So we'll see what what the setup is, and you expect that Mason Mount will will be back for that game just wasn't really fit enough after uh, having to quarantine yeah to, to make it for the germany game but it's gonna be a tough game i think for england but but it would it would it would be a fairly big disappointment if they weren't able to get through agreed agreed but i'm very curious to see how they line up more than anything mm-hmm. to your point i i don't expect to go i don't expect gareth southgate to go with three four three because i think that's almost like a concession. Like, I feel like you're conceding part of yeah. your fullback play. Like, you're arguably your strongest, your strongest players are out on the flanks. Don't, yeah. like, use that to your advantage, you know? We saw but, how good Shaw was. Like, yeah. well, especially once Grealish came on. Like, there was a good relationship between the two of them. Mm-hmm. I think Grealish, it, it is tough. To, like, do you start him or bring him off the bench? Because... I feel that a lot of these managers get caught in this position where they're like, I know that he's going to be such a difference maker off of the bench. And, you know, also international, the way that international soccer kind of goes, like once their subs made, everything kind of gets thrown out of the window in terms of tactics. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So that maybe is a great time to have a guy who kind of plays off the cuff, like Grealish. Um, but also, there's enough talent on the team where you can start Grealish, and if it's not going well, you can bring on Jaden Sancho, <laughs> who will now, because he's made his move to Manchester United, will definitely get playing time. Yes, I'm yes, sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's a correlation. <laughs> there's a correlation for sure. Well, Rian, I think we all expect England to go through against Ukraine, although I genuinely do expect this to be a very cagey match. I, however, think that it could end up like, one of the greatest to one of two of the greatest games I've seen in international football in the last, let me think probably in the last decade that I can think of. Um, I honestly, I honestly can't <laughs> think of, of better, of a better day one of international soccer. And I'm not sure. Like, look, we're still only in our early twenties, so we don't have a lot to go off of. <laughs> <True>. And, <laughs> and, I can't think of a single day at any of the Euros that I've watched up to now or any of the World Cups that I've watched up to now that had this much excitement as we saw on Monday afternoon. 
I will say one of the things that like I I just loved about Monday, of course, we're talking about France, Switzerland, and Spain, Croatia. But one of the things that I loved is that you couldn't like you could almost like dream of these scenarios, like literally dream, like go to bed one night, think like, oh, how insane would it be if like both of these games went to extra time or like an underdog came through and pulled out something crazy. Both teams were up two goals in the last 10 minutes. Both teams (laughs) up two goals in the last 10 minutes just to throw it away. Like you can dream of those things as a one-off and maybe they might happen once. Now, I mean, to have it happen twice in a day is insanity, is actually insanity. I... Let, let's let's do this let's start <laughs> let's start with spain croatia because i this was a big croatia or, uh, well, look, we, we have to start with the tournament favorites here fine start with we France. have so, to i we was going in the order they were played but go ahead go ahead i mean <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's where i'm at <laughs> I, I actually i i texted elias after this game i think and i said this was, this was a great day. This game was a great one for my, um, who was it I said? My Deschamps, my Pavard, and Kimpembe agendas. And I can't even call them agendas anymore because this game, they were actually all very poor in their own way. <laughs> so just, just to start with Deschamps here. Oh, okay. The balance. The balance of this team you know, honestly, unlike England, where where we can say we can say we want them to attack more, and we can say that there there are good enough players there for them to attack more, right? At the end of the day, England and Southgate have gotten the balance correct for the opponents that they play against. And France, I can't think of a single game in the four that they played where I felt like they got the balance correct. You think about the first game. They beat Germany off of a really weird own goal from Hummels and then just didn't really play for the rest of the game and, and granted, defended very well and counterattacked when they needed to and, and I think got a little unlucky in terms of offsides and sort of getting a goal or two. But in this game, the balance was just so, so off. I, I It's amazing to me that the 20 minutes where Switzerland almost go up 2-0 off of just a crazy challenge from Pavard. It's just a crazy slide yeah. tackle challenge yeah. from Pavard where he ends up taking out the Swiss player, not with his legs, but with his arm yeah. and just completely sweat the legs. I guess we were back in like basically karate kid <laughs> at that point, right? Um, that That's like from that moment, up until the Pogba's stunner of a goal. That was the best 20 minutes that the French played in the entire tournament. And that's the only tw- yep. that's the only span in the tournament where I can say they definitively played well. I <laughs> the lineup to start Rabio at left wing back. <laughs> and then at halftime, when you realize that real when when Deschamps finally realized 
a fact that every person who's watched La Liga and every Barcelona <laughs> fan has known for the last two years that yeah. Clement Longley is fairly useless against strikers who who are very good at heading the ball or, or strong or yes. strong yeah or or have any strength really when he realized that was a mistake to start Longley he still kept Rabio in and played him at left back I I I I couldn't understand almost any of the decisions from Deshaun's like, I, I don't know, Ellie. You're, you're gonna have to. Figure it out. <laughs> I, I was just, I was speechless from so many. Do I have cities. to save you? Yeah, I, I mean, I was equally as, as dumbfounded by this. I will say, my shock was not necessarily at something like the long lay lack of vertical abilities in his whiteness. I, I think it was <laughs> much more in the fact that France looked so slow. Like yeah. I thought they would actually be able to kick it in the second gear, not even before the first goal, like at the very least after that goal went in, like I thought that there would be a wake up call. And I literally texted Rion during halftime. And I was like, France are aware that they are losing this game, right? <laughs> like they are fully aware that they are going to go out of the tournament if the result stays the same. And I think they started to realize that right after halftime, obviously after the penalty is when things like that 20 minute span that Rial just mentioned a hundred percent was France's best 20 minutes of the tournament. It just made no sense to me that that 20 minutes came at the time that it did like those 20 minutes should have come in the first half prior to the goal and then continue through the rest of the game. Like it shouldn't like France have the quality to do that. They had the whole quality this whole time. But I don't think that there is a French player out there that you can say had a great tournament. Maybe Paul Pogba. I think you could yeah, say Paul I think Pogba. The, I think that's the only person. Honestly. Yeah, I think that's the honestly. only person. Kareem Benzema did obviously put away, you know, a couple of goals. And that's yeah. what he was brought in to do. And I, I guess at the end of the day, that's really his entire job. So he did his job fundamentally. But Paul Pogba is the only player that I can say changed this game with his vertical passes like he truly like wanted to make something happen for this French team whereas the rest of the team yeah I'm gonna highlight Kimpembe I'll highlight Griezmann I'll before I even get to Mbappe I'll highlight those two players and I'll highlight Rabiot as well as players that did a lot of like I think there's a I don't know if this is the right word for it um like pausa like in, in Spanish, and I think it, just, it literally just means pause. Like they just, they put like a stop to the game. Like there was an emphasis on slowing the play down every time the ball came to their feet. And that's what I think Rihanna is alluding to with the lack of balance in this, in this squad and in the lineup. It made no sense to me that players like Kimpembe, Rabio, Griezmann completely slowed down the pace of such a counterattacking side or a strong counterattacking side that could have taken advantage of that and they threw it away they just threw it away it was no you make a great point because the first you think about the first basically hour of this game the first 60 minutes that attack was non-existent like, no the build-up play was the build-up play was Paul Pogba that was it it was pass it to him and let's just hope that he figures out who's open right now 
And a lot of that first half, too, was just, it was just pass it to Mbappe. It was just, yeah. Mbappe stand out on the wing. We're going to pass it to you. And I hope that something happens from that, which, you know, the Swiss are not idiots. They probably watched <laughs> the first three games of the of this tournament for France. And a lot of France's build-up play was just that, was just yeah. passing it to Mbappe side of the field or looking for him to run in behind. You know, you know what? That made me realize one last thing about Mbappe mm-hmm. outside of just how poor of a tournament he had. It made me realize that he is right now a very one-dimensional player. And that is, I think, actually really unfortunate for him because I think he has the talent to become much more than that. He is a very one-dimensional player and running at defenders is really his only trait. Granted, he is arguably the best in the world at doing that. But being so one-dimensional is kind of lackluster for your your team when you're not going up against the defenders of Argentina basically like it <laughs> it requires more for you to be a winger or to be a glorified like I don't want to call it like a false nine but basically I would say an inverted winger right yeah look his his you think about his profile is really what Terry his his his, mm-hmm. his top level should be his potential should be a faster Thierry Henry, right? Yeah. Like that should that should be like the levels that he reaches and, and maybe higher than that. But we saw what happened in this game against Swiss, against the Swiss. That passes to him and the Swiss every time they just said, We're just gonna send two or three men at you mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and just corner you. Yep. Right. And that's what happened so much in that first half. And Coman was fantastic when he came out. I, I will say that he had yes. a great second half up until I think he hurt his hamstrings at some point in in extra time, but he came on and he was playing on that left side. And then Mbappe started to kind of roam a bit more. And that was better for the team itself. Right? Yeah. It might not have necessarily been better for him, although look, he had a great back heel to Griezmann for that, for that second um, French goal for, for Benzema's second goal. But yeah, that, that, that strategy of just, isolating Mbappe on the wing like that like it, he it's it feels weird to say like he he is a very good dribbler right but he's a very good dribbler kind of running at you more than mm-hmm. being in those tight spaces and having to play out of it and, and granted any good team shouldn't force their player to play like that right but it, it's there, there's he's still very young like he's still 22 he's yeah. still gonna add more to his game he's gonna have to if he if he's gonna reach those levels that that everyone expects him to yeah right but but yeah it was a disappointing tournament for him and look to go from the highs of the highs of 2018 to ended up missing the penalty the deciding penalty in this it's like look as as uh he peaked, as he peaked a then, great, by the way as a great wise man said in uh ted lasso football is life right <laughs> the highs and lows it's all there it's it's uh, killian will come back from this for sure <laughs> the thing the guys who i'm not sure will come back from this starting from the player's side every single one of the french center backs <laughs> every one of them Every single yeah. one of them. I'm not yeah. sure if I'm really not sure if any of them are good anymore. And 
at one point in this game, um, Peter turns to me. He's like, oh, where's Zuma? And honestly, <laughs> honestly, I'm positive that Kurt Zuma would not have allowed that first goal if no, he was he would there not. instead of Longley. No. And, and so that that's maybe the part that we kind of underestimated about this French team. Like, as good as the midfield, as good and deep as the midfield and attack were, those center backs were suspect the entire tournament, right? And you could fault them for each of those goals. Longley for the first one. Uh, the second goal, Varane just lets Seferovic just walk in front of him and, and, and get a jump on him for the goal and, and does nothing to mark him as he's in the box. And then the third goal, look, if, if anyone was thinking about screaming for their team to get Prisnel Kimpembe anytime <laughs> in the next two years, just watch the third goal. We can we can somewhat. I, I'm finding it hard to blame Pogba for that goal because I think he ended, he's the one that lost the ball, right? But right. I think it's, I think the Swiss actually just just pounced on him very quickly and took it from him, right? Yeah, that can happen. There's a great overhead view of that goal where I think Jaka picks the ball up and he just kind of holds it for maybe a few seconds, and it's very possible that he looks off Kimpembe in a way, like he looked. At the guy who's there's a guy making a run in the right wing for this for the Swiss running, I think, in between Pe- yeah. Kimpembe and and Rabio. And Kimpembe starts moving out of the middle of the field and leaves this huge gap for Gavranovic, who is running straight through the heart of uh Francis midfield and towards their back line. Kimpembe moves away from him because he's so concerned about this this right winger who's running in from the right side, leaves this space open for Gavranovic. And then once Gavranovic picks up the ball, Kimpembe rushes back in and slides and is easily just beaten mm-hmm. and and leaves a look it's, not, it's still a difficult shot for the for the third goal. It's still a difficult to score from there. It's still a great finish, right? But like I, every one of those French center backs I've realized are what I'm trying to figure out now, like hand held center backs. And I'll denote this is the, there's a difference between handheld center backs and hand hold <laughs> center backs. Oh right? God. <laughs> a hand hold center back is a guy like, uh, like a Carlos Puyol like a John Terry, a Tiago Silva, a um, Sergio Ramos, right? Guys who maybe because of their experience or just generally they read the game better, they can have a center back next to them who is just not quite as adept at reading the game and can kind of hold their hand and tell them to be in the right places, (laughs) right? Whereas these handheld center backs like Kimpembe, like, honestly, I would put Varane in that situation now after we, after we saw what Madrid's back line looks like when Sergio Ramos wasn't in and uh, Varane was the guy leading it. These guys that need their hand held back there, they need <laughs> to be told where to be. They need to be yelled at and, and yeah, need yeah. to be disciplined by, by their uh, center back partners. 
and I just can't think of a single center back on um, on France that I would consider someone who can hold the hands of another center of a of a partner there and and lead the back line almost by themselves. And I think ultimately that's kind of where France fell short, and ultimately might be what costs Didier Deschamps his job. Yeah, yeah. That's the last thing I guess we can talk about with with France is does Didier Deschamps stay on as, as coach? I, I think both of us are probably leaning. No, <laughs> like realistically, I don't know how, where else he can take this team just based on the fact that they could not get it done. In the last euros very obviously right. Did win the world cup, which I feel like we're almost like downplaying like, yeah, you won a world cup. but didn't win the euro. Yeah. <laughs> obviously he won the world cup and that's a massive accomplishment, but it's more about the future now looking towards 2022 where does this team go? I don't know if Deschamps actually has proven in the last three years that there's an upward trajectory of the team now. Like, I think we've hyped up France to the point because of the talent that they have, but I think Deschamps is probably taking this team as far as he can. And that's like kind of unfortunate because he has so much talent at his disposal, but yeah. And that's the difference in the end. Like people look, we were ready if they won this tournament, to start stacking them up against that yeah that legendary spanish side right and ultimately the difference there is that vicente del bosque knew his strengths of his team and didn't try to hold them back and <laughs> and deschamps did everything he could to hold this team back from from their strengths which wasn't their wasn't their defending and oh it wasn't their center backs i should say specifically um but he did everything he could to hold this team back and and not allow them to play freely. So, yeah, that's that's the ultimate difference. And then that's probably a good segue to speak about Spain themselves. Yeah, we, we have gone a while talking about France, and rightfully so, but we do need to talk about the other ridiculous game. Honestly, I would argue that this was the more entertaining of the two just because of how many goals there were like solely on the fact yeah. that this, there were goals, there Eight was, goals. like that's always, yeah, <laughs> this, this is all I'll say to start off with Spain. This Spain team has wonderfully surprised me in their last two games. Like, obviously we're talking about a game where they scored two goals over two games or uh, 10 goals over two games. So that's obviously a big part of it, but the biggest issue that people had at the Spanish team is that they could not score. Like they could not for the life of them find the back of the net. And then they started the tournament and lo and behold, they really could not score. And then the next game, they could not score that much. And it's like, is this team broken? Like what is going on with the team that you have? Morata was a double agent for the first few games. (laughs) Well, that the jury's still out. Jury's still out. This is actually to convince us that he's not. But honestly, against Sweden, you have 80% possession. You can, you just, could barely find the back of the net. Like it's what was going on with the Spain team. I think what happened is that they needed a moral boost. I genuinely think that they needed a game like Slovakia to wake them up and say, you have the firepower to do it. You've been getting into the right positions. You've clearly had the most chances. I think that's evidenced by the highest XG in the tournament. 
why have they not been going in? It's purely based on inches. It's like a game of inches. That's all yeah. it was. You're talking about a Morata pen- penalty, several Morata chances. Moreno Jer- hitting the Jared post Moreno on a hitting penalty. The post. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like you're very narrowly away from being a team that has scored much more than 12 goals this tournament. And all of a sudden, the way that they responded to Croatia scoring two goals in the last 10 minutes was the most impressive thing I've seen from Spain in the last five years, easily the last five years, because Luis Enrique in his like post regulation, like pep talk with the team on the field, like, you could kind of see that there was like concern. Like they were like, Oh man, this is, this is really bad. Like we should not be in a position where we just got scored on twice in the last 10 minutes of this game to, to go to extra time. But there was a belief among the team that they were the better side that game. And they were, they wholeheartedly yeah. were the better side that entire game against Croatia. And that absolutely came out when full, like full credit to Morata for scoring arguably the goal of the tournament. Oh, I don't know if I'll go that far, but but it was a fantastic. Okay. It was a great goal. One of great goal. one. We're not one all of, scoring halfway volleys <laughs> from. Yeah, that's not always going to happen. But arguably, an amazing goal for him, and, and it will do him massive confidence. I just think that Spain, Spain have like a chip on their shoulder, and they use that to their advantage in this game. Like I was very impressed with the way that they carried themselves after they went down a goal. So, or sorry, when they when they. Got well, they drawn. did go down a goal too. They they did go, they did go down a goal, yes, but with one of the all time own goals. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I thought we got transported to middle school JV. <laughs> Honestly, I oh the J- the JVB days when we would just let let stuff go in and no one really could, yeah. yeah yeah seriously. But no, I, I totally with you. Um, really, really impressed by by the way they responded both times after going down a goal and and um and Croatia leveling it late I was really really impressed by just their mental fortitude Mm -hmm. in that game right and this team is legitimately good this is legitimately a very good team and I and I'm also pleasantly surprised by the way they've been able to put this together and I didn't think that Cesar Espelicueta was going to be part of that, like part of this kind of revitalization yeah, yeah, in the yeah. last couple of games. I, I just did not expect him to to be the guy there, but it makes more sense that he's playing right back than Marcos Llorente. I'll just say that. Shockingly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not shocking, actually. It's it's nice to have a natural, naturally fit right back, but you would think that based on the season that Marcus Lorente has had for Atletico Madrid in the number of assists he's contributed and, and really his overall performance for the team, like that would be a really seamless fit. But I think what, what Luis Enrique slowly realized and then very rapidly realized is that that's not his position at all. And he should not obviously be in that position. <laughs> he did, I believe, come into the Croatia game later on and yeah. was not fitted to be in that position so i i think that honestly that's the biggest thing like yes he had success there with um uh with atletico madrid over the season the biggest difference between spain and atletico madrid is that spain actually play with wingers <laughs> yeah basically. it's not a 4-4-2 like, yeah you know, it's, it's mostly playing like right mid exactly for, uh, exactly 
for Atleti, right? Yeah. But this this Spain team, like, really, like, everything in possession looks so good. Like, I, mm-hmm. I think my concern is – I know they scored 10 goals in these last two games. My concern is, is still – Center backs, I, you're going to say is, it. Oh, well, yeah, that, that – oh, yes. Oh, oh. But I was going to say still – I love Morata, but, but it's still – I don't <laughs> know if we can – rely on that and, and i mm. and i think it'll be important for them to get goals from like sarabia like out of nowhere scoring in that game and Ferran torres like mm-hmm. i think they're gonna need to get goals from whoever the wide forwards are too mm-hmm. um i think that'll be important for them but also like you said how they control the game without possession that is still a concern for me because i think i texted you the almost every time that Croatia put together a few passes, they were right at the Spanish back line. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I think a lot of this has to do with Busquets still. I still, it, it, yes, it, unfortunately it he's, does. Yeah. He's looked, I think looked great in possession as he usually does. And I think he's been so good at um, moving the ball very well between the lines to Pedri, who we didn't even mention has been Spain's best player this entire tournament. At 18, like crazy. It's insane. Um, but I still just have that. I just still have that concern about what happens when who knows, who knows if Switzerland will be the team that can really punish them for it. Right. But yeah, my concern is still what happens when you have an Italy or a Belgium running at you and, you know, kind of coming at that back line and, 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 and using their athleticism against, guys like Busquets and Eric, Eric Garcia who seems a bit like Longley any bit of physicality and he gets turned so easily uh, why, why do you so. think we signed him it'll be a perfect partnership <laughs> yeah but, but at the end of the day I, I think uh, going back to like that control over substance um narrative that uh, that we've seen with a, with a lot of these major teams I think Spain offers that control they have the substance too because they're finding they're finding the spaces when they have the ball too it's more about can they control the game enough to limit the counterattacks because that's kind of just my biggest concern with them now i think yeah i think you hit the nail on the head i i'm very curious to see how the switzerland game plays out i still think spain go through but more so because if they do go through they're probably facing right uh one of better teams in england and ukraine <laughs> so whoever whoever wins that um side of the the draw but i don't know how they do against either of those teams because they do very well on the on the counterattack. both teams do so i guess rian let's take a quick break before we go on and talk about probably the tastiest quarterfinal uh game in belgium and italy and then we'll wrap up with a little denmark and copa america talk all right ladies and gentlemen welcome back talking a little belgium a little italy a little belgium versus portugal and then italy versus austria of course both of the probably obvious choices in those games going through i say obvious with like a little asterisk because like portugal 
Portugal should have done better. They may not have been the obvious choice to go through, but they should have gone done better as the, the tournament uh, holders. But I don't know if any of these teams played well in, in the, the round of 16 or the knockout round, I should call it. Like, I don't think Belgium was particularly incredible against Portugal. I thought Portugal for the latter half <clears throat> when Jao Felix came on, basically, um, for that point, on one leg, basically on one leg, on one leg, <laughs> yeah, 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 insane too. That no one really knew about these these ankle problems, but the fact that Portugal probably should have scored, I would say, towards the last twenty minutes of this game, Belgium really, in some ways. Didn't didn't get lucky. Let's let's say like Thorgan Hazard's goal was incredible. That without a doubt. But it was realistically the best chance that they created the entire game. There were half chances where I think Belgium did a really really good job. Specifically, his brother Eden Hazard did a really good job of getting out wide into spaces and beating basically his man almost every time one on one and. Although Lukaku did not score, I thought Lukaku had a great game again, being able to to support his his teammates as you know, basically his job as as a hold up player, as a distributor. He was phenomenal in that sense, and I think people would probably not rate that because they don't fully look at the whole scope of the game. But other than that, Belgium were underwhelming to me. Yeah, they talk about they notched zero point two on the XG in this game. Say 0.2? 0.2, yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There and and Portugal go. ended up with 1.1 by the yeah. end of it. So it, yeah, not not remotely convincing. That's a lot to be desired in that game. And and like you said, Portugal were probably unlucky not to score at least once. Yeah. And I think there, there's like a clip of um Ronaldo talking to Courtois after the game. <laughs> yeah. He said like he's like, it just wouldn't go in today. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. And and, and he's not he's wrong. Right. Yeah. Um, so, look, we're likely going to be they're likely going to be missing. Um, they being Belgium, Eden Hazard and Kevin De Bruyne for this um, upcoming game against Italy. And I'd be I'm pretty concerned for them, considering how they looked playing with in those first what was it 60 ish minutes against Denmark when they didn't have Hazard and De Bruyne on the field and they brought them on they brought them on and then the game totally flipped on its head right they were fully outplayed by Denmark in that game and Italy and Denmark play fairly similarly and Italy have more talented players so <laughs> i i would be concerned for uh for Belgium side of this for, now for Italy, you know, I, I they were I thought they were very good in the first half of that game against Austria, and in the second half they just all of the I don't know all of the the movement, all of the the good passing lane that they were finding in that first half, they just couldn't put anything together. They seemed so disjointed in the second. half. They did half it to and, themselves, though. Yeah, like they Italy Italy shot themselves in the foot essentially in the second half against Austria because they took their foot off the gas and the Gagan press that they put into play completely just fell apart. Like I don't yeah. know what Mancini said to to the Italian team and specifically players like Jorginho in in the halftime talk, but completely changed the way that they press. And that was the biggest thing in the first half uh, against Austria is that they pressed 
so fast and so well that it suffocated Austria. Like there were so many times when this Austrian team wanted to use Alaba as an outlet and immediately, immediate, even with someone like him, like who has genuine pace, maybe not as like four years ago, but has genuine pace could not for the life of him get down that flank until probably the 85th minute onwards into Mm -hmm. extra time. And then by then the game was kind of over once Italy scored an extra time. So I, I thought, I thought Italy just kind of, I mean, they could have really gotten, gotten this game taken care of in in regulation. Like they just, they completely did it to themselves. They, they, they could have like, like there's a, maybe there's another world where they, where they get that goal in the first half and everything kind of just changes. Like mm-hmm. we know how much the, we know how much like uh, goals change games in, in soccer. And like, it changes the entirety of how the other team plays and it, and it changes like mentally too, like confidence yeah. levels, all of that for, for Italy there. Right. But you made a good point. Like the, the press was not as coordinated in the second half, like the lines, the lines between the forwards and midfield and, and defenders were, were so off in the press. And mm-hmm. as someone who watched a year and a half of Chelsea try to press uh, under Lampard, try to press as a team and, and do it in a disjointed way. And would a lot of the times leave Jorginho totally isolated in the midfield there. Like that's what happens when you, when you're not all together in that press. I, I think Ver- Verratti, Going forward, I think Verratti and um, and Jorginho as like playing in that midfield three or playing as a double pivot or whatever. I think that's a great way going forward, playing against more difficult op- opponents. Right? Mm-hmm. Maybe it wasn't necessary against Austria. Like maybe that's a game where Locatelli should have still started. Right? But it's hard to um, it's hard to go against not playing Marco Verratti. And so I, I think at the end of the day, like. Second half was disappointing, and I'm sure that, that that'll be drilled into them um, to fix everything that went wrong in that second half. But, you know, the team, the, the depth that they showed in the in extra time, being able to bring on Chiesa, and, like, the great – there was still great team movement for the Chiesa goal, like, creating yeah. that space for him out wide. Um, this, that was more of what we've seen from, from Italy during this tournament, and – Maybe, who knows? Maybe they'll look back and be like, wow, that was the game that we could have been like, that we could have been knocked out and it changed everything. I, I sometimes like to like think about, I feel like that happens to the teams that win these tournaments like once every yeah. time. Like they always have like a knockout game where everyone's like, wow, they did not look good <laughs> and yeah. somehow got out of there with that. And I think like the, the, one example I'm thinking of is like 2014 where I don't know if you remember, but like Germany, like almost getting knocked out by Algeria. Oh my God. I literally don't remember that. They they went to extra time with like Algeria and, and almost got knocked out in that, in that. And like, Oh my God. And and got through that and ended up winning the tournament. And it can always go one of two ways. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It can be that, or it can be in that same tournament where Brazil should have been knocked out by Chile yeah, and somehow yeah, got yeah. through there and looked like looked terrible and then still kind of looked terrible for the rest of the tournament. Um, but I, I, I still feel good about Italy. And I still think that they're going to be the favorites going into that game. And, 100%. and ex- I, I'd expect them to make it through against Belgium. 
I, I agree. I think Italy are 100% the favorites, especially given that someone like Kevin Bruyne and potentially Eden Hazard as well will not be available in, in full capacity, at least yeah. in these games. I'm very curious to see who gets on the score sheet for both teams, if both teams get on the score sheet. Because obviously you could talk about players like Chiesa, who I wish, <laughs> I really wish Mancini would start him. I don't think he will, <laughs> unfortunately, again. Yeah, but it feels like a Grealish situation-ish. It, like it does, like it does. Way. But at the same time, I also think about a player like Carrasco on Belgium mm. who came on and did help them again in their transition play, especially on the counterattack on the left wing, kind of similar to how he, he has at Atleti, and did actually provide genuine half chances to, to Lukaku. Where do those sort of substitutions come into play? Like, I very much think that this will be a game of substitutions. And I think depending on who those substitutions are, like, I, I think that we could be seeing a game where those substitutions like come in and, and score or change the game massively because it, it could be a cagey affair. I think for the first half and the second half, it will definitely open up. Should be exciting either way. Yeah. So we're looking forward to it. Hondo um, Oh, yeah. So we move on to the last of the uh, of the quarterfinal matchups. The last quarterfinal matchup, Rian. Denmark against Czech Republic. A game for the ages. Denmark, I mean, <laughs> they were probably the best-looking team in the knockout rounds so far. Yeah. The best-looking, holistically the best-looking team was definitely Denmark for, for me. I mean a very, very strong performance. They had <clears throat> an extra above three, I think, in this game. Absolutely created monumentously good chances. To be fair, Wales just did not have an answer throughout the majority of this game, throughout the second half especially. I question how they even got through the group stages and the, the way that they looked coming out of this game against Denmark. What are your thoughts on this team? I, I feel like... I feel like this is everyone's like, what's the word? Like everyone is like a bandwagon for like a really good cause. Yeah. I, it, like that's, that's what it is. <laughs> the darlings, the darlings. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I just, it's, it's astounding how well they play Denmark. And I'm just throwing this out here now. And obviously anything could happen because, you know, they're, they're not going to be the most talented team. In, in any they're not the most talented team of the last eight that are left mm. here right but i don't know i've got a funny feeling they're gonna get i have a funny feeling they're gonna get to the final from that side of the bracket oh right? my god you, you think yeah. about you think about now like they play this they're, they're they have to be favored against czech republic I, I think that would be disappointing for them to go out against the czechs and then you're talking about playing either england or ukraine i know england will will be the favorites to make mm -hmm. it through that. And, and obviously they will be the favorites coming up against Denmark, but like the way that this team plays and the adjustments that are made, that were, that was made in that Wales game itself, like just starting with the way they play the movement for Dolberg's goal, the first goal. Yeah. I think it was Dom's Dom's guard comes short and Dolberg, at the same time makes the run in behind him and the ball gets to Donsgaard and he finds Dolberg and the, the finish is fantastic. But the best part about that was 
maybe 10 minutes before that, sometime like 10 minutes before that goal, they tried the same exact thing on the right side of the field and similarly got, I think it was Delaney in, in behind something like that. Just really like obviously trained, like drilled into the attack, like definitely part of the coaching where like this movement is like stuff that you would expect to see like Barcelona, right? Where one guy comes short and the other one, other one runs in behind and like, that's where the space is because the Mm -hmm. defender has to come and follow that guy who's coming short. That plus, I think it was maybe after like 15 minutes and Denmark started with a back three and then 15 minutes in, you could kind of see that Bale and Ramsey were finding space like right in front of that back three. The Dutch manager, uh, Kasper Hulman, if I'm, I hope I'm pronouncing yeah, that correctly. Close enough. <laughs> um, he, he moves Christensen into the holding mid spot and no longer are Bale or Ramsey finding space in those areas. And from that point on, Denmark had control of the entire game. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just like brilliant, brilliant all around, brilliant coaching, brilliant team play. And it just, it just feels like they play better than as a team, as a purely as a unit, like they have the balance correct. And just the general uh, chemistry and cohesion as a team that they've impressed more than I, than anyone else for me. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. And I think there are about two youngsters on this Danish team that are going to get a big move not maybe not this summer, but definitely next summer, the way that they have put their names on, on the map for some of the larger European teams. I don't even have to say who they are. You already mentioned them. So <laughs> I, I would just look out for that. And I'm very excited as well for Martin Brathwaite to get his move away to a, a hopefully, <laughs> hopefully. So happy that he got his club. goal at the end. He deserved it. Too. He deserved he's it. been great. For, he's been great. Like his, mm-hmm. like again, his movement's been great. His link up play really good really important for this team too but um i'm sure the guys that at least are talking about is is mikhail domsgård and mm-hmm. um and uh dolberg dolberg yeah yeah yep. so yeah two players that i've been very impressed with that i did yeah. not know very much about other than kind of i think an ix connection mm-hmm. beyond that not much and i will all i'll say about the czech team before we move on is this team was lucky to get through against the Dutch, but not in the sense that they played poorly. They were lucky in the sense that there was a red car that completely changed the momentum of this game. And that is really what led to the change. Neither team before that red card, in my opinion, was really like a stronger team during that game. Like I thought it was very much like a back and forth and the red card really just kind of sealed it for. Yeah. All you can say is like that. That like 60, 60 to 70 seconds where I think Malin on the Netherlands gets through in the one-on-one and just and and can't and tries to round the keeper and does it and 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 uh just doesn't get it correct. Like maybe 60 seconds later is yeah. the delicked handball and and again, like the game just flips. Pure, yeah, it totally flips on that. And and from there, like the Dutch just couldn't just couldn't wrangle control of the game again. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that I think the Czechs should be super, super excited about even making it this far. Um, I think they had a couple games like this where it felt like they didn't 
really like remotely play better than the other side and got a win out of it. I, I'm even thinking back to, I think that the game against Scotland where it's like two great goals from, uh, yeah. from Schick and Scotland had a, just a lot of chances and, and can finish for the Dutch side of this. We see Frank De Boer's resigned. Um, that always felt very likely if they weren't <laughs> gonna stop um, this man do well have in even, this. They've been appointed. Yeah, but... <laughs> like even apart from that, I, I feel weirdly bullish about the the squad itself going forward mm-hmm. and going into the World Cup next year. If you're factoring in, we get a healthy Van Dyke back, and uh, Genie Wijnaldum doesn't his his ability doesn't fall off in the next year and a half. Like there's still a there's still a lot of encouragement, I think, for this Dutch side. There was still a lot of really encouraging performances from from a lot of these from um, a good amount of the squad in this game in this tournament, I should say. So, <laughs> the best thing that could have happened to them was getting, I think, Frank De Boer out literally. as a coach, and it immediately literally. encouraged me more about their chances in the World Cup. <laughs> yeah, because they're not a bad side. They're actually like I I was somewhat encouraged by what I've seen, um, but a stubbornness to stick to a three-five-two that clearly at some point was not ever going to work. Just it honestly impressed me. It honestly impressed me the way that, that he, he stuck to it, but whatever. I'm sure he'll find a way to fail upwards again at another. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. France national team coach next. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. I'd stop. Absolutely not. But anyway, last thing, Rian, why don't we touch on the Copa America group stages that are just about wrapping up Argentina on one side in one group, Brazil on the other side, in another group has solidified their spots as number one in the group. Now, basically what that means, right? Is that if all things go perfectly, these two sides will meet in the Copa America final. Now, <laughs> now, wow. where, the, where have I heard that before? <laughs> With that being said, that is going to require a lot of luck for these sides because Brazil play Chile, I think, on Friday, Friday night, and Argentina play Ecuador uh, on Saturday night in the quarterfinals. This could have been a very different quarterfinal matchup if Uruguay did not beat, I believe, Paraguay in the last game because just the way that the group set up, Uruguay beating Paraguay means that Chile had to play Brazil. Alternatively, Brazil would have had to have played Uruguay if that result did not pan out. So I think that this is set up perfectly (laughs) and stick with me. (laughs) This is set up perfectly for Brazil to get knocked out early. Argentina to make it to the semifinals get knocked out and neither of these two teams win. <laughs> that is, that is my genuinely genuine thoughts on what is about to happen in this Copa America, because oh, no. while Brazil have probably arguably been the best team in this tournament, I mean, they clearly, I mean, without, without even going into so much detail have taken apart their entire opposition. I mean, they have only conceded two goals in their last four games, right. In the, in the Copa America, they've, scored at least uh, basically two goals outside of their last draw against Ecuador um, in in each of their games. Like they are, they're on a rampage now simultaneously Argentina are also doing quite well against 
you can kind of look at the Bolivia result as a confidence booster because Bolivia were already, already out <laughs> of the group stages by the time they played them. But to be able to only concede, right, again, two goals over the last four games for a team that everybody really shits on for how poor they are defensively, that is somewhat impressive. I have to, I have to give it to them to only concede those two goals. And finally, uh, finally, yeah. Nicholas Otamendi gets his flowers. <laughs> no, 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 no. Let's not go that far because in the Bolivia, well, I guess in the Bolivia game, he did not start and did not play in the other games. Unfortunately he did, but let's not give too much credit where credit is solely not due. I do think I will say that with Argentina playing Ecuador, a, a, a team that they should beat Brazil playing Chile, a team that Brazil should beat. In all likelihood, we are headed towards an Argentina-Brazil final, but there are a lot of steps that need to get there. And South American teams do have a habit of just screwing with the the status quo, like just in the weirdest ways possible. And this is something that like I've talked to Rian about a lot. The competition level between Europeans, European national teams and South American national teams is very different. I'm not saying one is better or worse. I'm just saying it's very different. And I think the physicality that comes in South America almost detracts from the quality of play sometimes, which means that not always the best team wins, unfortunately. And that just kind of, honestly, it kind of sucks because these are quality, quality, quality teams in, in the knockout stages of this Copa America. I think you can look at probably at least no, I would say I would, I would say all eight of the teams and say that they have a chance of making the semifinal. I don't I don't think there's an obvious choice in most of these other games outside of maybe Brazil, um, Chile, and, and Argentina, Ecuador. But I'm just excited to watch it. Like I've I've given up on hoping for Argentina at this point, and I've just accepted what comes. So whatever happens, happens at this point. Yeah, I mean, look, Brazil and Argentina, as you would expect, have been the two best teams, or in terms of points wise, but also they have the their expected goal difference per ninety, both close to two, and mm-hmm. no one else is even at one. So like, yeah, they they they've they've been similarly very very good. Um, and as I said to you last week, like this Argentina side is it feels a little different. It feels like mm-hmm. it's not just pass it to Messi and hope for the best yeah. right so there was an interesting look, we know, there's actually we know. an interesting um story in in one of the papers in argentina i think where paredes did an interview and he was talking about what it's like to play in a team that really just doesn't want to use pass to messi as the only outlet and he was saying it's a double-edged sword right because in one way you obviously wanted to want to get it to your best player but you have to stop yourself from doing that. Like your natural instinct sometimes is to pass it to your best outlet. But at the same time, if you do pass it to that outlet and then make that run, like an mm. off the ball run to get yourself in a better position to help your teammate, like help Messi in that sense, sometimes the ball will never come because he will do things that you like, you don't expect him to get by like three players sometimes. <laughs> Cause like you just, you look at a situation like that's not possible and so you kind of stop your run and then you realize he's actually <laughs> made it through and all of a sudden you're in a bad position, can't actually be helpful to him. So it's a really weird like cat and mouse game to to play the ball to him all the time or to kind of do your own thing. I don't know. It's yeah. it's interesting. 
And then sometimes you can get the situation on the Papu Gomez goal where like he plays a fucking amazing chip pass to to Papu Gomez who was running in and and Gomez finished it off with a really good finish. It's just as you would expect, there's a lot of firepower up front for for Argentina, but uh, it it feels like the the balance is a bit better than usual. So mm-hmm. look, we're crossing our figures. We hope that's the final. Like that's what everyone wants to see, even if there will be zero fans at that final. But yeah, crossing our fingers, of course. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. So well, with that, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, as always, for listening to our Summer Silly Season Rants Part 2. We'll be back probably in another week talking about how ridiculous the quarterfinals for the Euros are, anything summer transfer-related. Oh, Spurs have a new manager, by the way. Should have mentioned that. But, again, I can't wait. I actually... Don't want to jinx it. Don't want to jinx it, honestly. <laughs> so, it, it, it by the time listening to this, Andre Villas-Boas might be the, the manager again. <laughs> Who knows? Wow, that would actually be such a throwback and something that would go directly in line with why Harry Kane wants to leave this club. Um, but yeah, with that, we'll probably be back next week talking about the, the quarterfinals, talking about the uh, potential semifinals, I guess, for the Copa America too and anything summer related. So thank you as always, people. Talk to you soon. Thanks, guys.